Hi all and welcome along to this first edition of the Tech Briefing with myself, James Say. Now those of you who have kind of subscribed to some of my content previously, particularly my newsletter, will know that I've kind of taken a bit of time out uh, the last couple of months to really have a think about the best way to continue it uh, and to really make sure that I'm providing value to you. Um, you know, I really, really appreciate the uh, the time and effort that people put into reading and engaging with the content I produce, and I just felt that the value it was providing was kind of we were kind of slipping a little bit. Um, so you'll notice uh, a bit of an updated branding. So I'm now calling uh, this content uh, my newsletter and the associated kind of podcast, um, the Tech Briefing. Um, I previously it was very heavily associated with with my own name. It was kind of the James Say weekly briefing. I'm now calling it the Tech Briefing. You'll also notice um, slightly different kind of design in the newsletter and in the content, and obviously this podcast as well. Um, so I'm now using a platform called Substack, um, where previously I was using Mailchimp. Um, the nice thing I found with Substack is that it's kind of designed specifically for uh, for newsletters, uh, whereas Mailchimp was really quite clunky and not well suited to you know regular weekly newsletters. It's much more of a large company, large uh, corporate um, uh, marketing uh, platform, really, um, rather than a small weekly newsletter. So I'm giving Substack a go, and so far it's proving um, it's proving fantastic. And really, I hope that that you know spending a bit less time on the admin um, and less time on the creating the content um, or, or playing around with getting the content to look right in Mailchimp will really give me a bit more time to focus on the actual content. So in this first edition or first issue, um, we're going to talk about a couple of um, hot topics. The first is around 5G conspiracy theories, um, particularly around coronavirus, which is obviously the hot topic at the moment, um, and also Zoom, which, um, you know, since uh, we're now all in this kind of lockdown situation, Zoom has obviously become the go-to um, conferencing, video calling, video conferencing app. And so I'm going to talk about some of the security aspects in particular around that. So, kicking off then with some 5G conspiracy theories. Um, and, you know, we know that for quite a long time there's been, uh, you know, the odd the odd kind of crazy person shouting about 5G conspiracy theories on social media. Their claims are often centred around the higher frequencies of 5G causing some sort of biology biological damage to people. These are frequencies that start to get slightly more towards the microwave kind of radiation side. Um, and more recently, and actually more worryingly, um, with the spread of COVID-19, um, they've really shifted their theories to say that 5G is causing the pandemic. And I think that's really, really dangerous. And of course, while, um, you know, we know that this is absolutely nonsense, um, this misinformation has really been spreading like wildfire on social media, um, largely exacerbated by the sort of celebrity accounts um, sharing conspiracy theories to their millions of followers. Um, one example that, that I saw in particular was um, in the UK, at least, this sort of celebrity Amanda Holden, uh, who, was an, who was an actress, I think, um, and she tweeted out a petition calling on the government to ban 5G 
um, as she said it apparently takes the oxygen out of the air which is causing people to have these respiratory issues caused by COVID-19 of course absolute nonsense um, and that 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 tweet was subsequently um, deleted by Amanda Holden thankfully you know usually these theories don't really cause much harm um, a bit of annoyance in their stupidity and and the people um, within the field that they're talking about so with 5g you know the telecoms industry is obviously um, extremely annoyed by all of these theories and it's actually causing them quite a lot of damage but this time um, I think we're seeing something a little bit different uh, where people are actually taken to physical action um, and we've seen huge vandalism of cell towers um, mostly seemingly by setting them on fire uh, cutting cables all of that kind of thing uh, and there have been reports of this happening right across the UK um, and even global um, with mobile operators confirming uh, huge numbers of of, uh, of cases uh, of vandalism as well as uh, harassment of their network engineers who are installing uh, upgrading cell towers just doing routine maintenance and often not even around 5g um, we've seen examples where network engineers who are laying fiber to give people good broadband to their homes are being attacked um, and harassed by these sort of conspiracy theorists uh, and some have also linked uh, the huge spread of these anti-5g groups to the kind of russian propaganda machine but um, i don't particularly want to touch on that at the moment so what we've seen uh, quite a good response actually from the uk mobile operators um, who all released um, earlier in april uh, an open letter to their customers highlighting quite rightly how their how important their networks are and asking people to call out this misinformation and report any harassment um, DCMS the Department for uh, Digital Culture Media and Sport which is the government department responsible for 5G in the UK has also called out these baseless claims um, as being hugely damaging they've uh, they've been quite active on social media thankfully now, if I were a network network operator, um, I would be very worried about this fast-spreading misinformation. Um, these operators are putting millions of pounds into the deployment of 5G technology, and they need customers to be upgrading to 5G phones um, when they become available, and obviously the associated data plans that go with it. 5G being seen as a health risk by potentially millions of people could very easily slow down adoption. Um, and this vandalized network isn't equipment isn't exactly cheap either and so replacing it is costly both in terms of physical equipment but also you know engineers time uh, and disgruntled customers who now complain of bad coverage when their local cell tower gets burned down um, also takes up people's time uh, and gives a negative uh, gives a negative uh, impression on the company a number of departments government departments should also be quite concerned um, as mobile operators or mobile networks are being classed as uh, critical national infrastructure they're carrying data for hugely important um, uses such as you know emergency services network all sorts of all sorts of really critical uh, stuff to the uk power stations and the like um, switched on there could be really serious life-threatening consequences uh, from large-scale deterioration of phone networks due to vandalism and so i think this is something that that people should be taking extremely uh, importantly so moving on then to Zoom, um, you know, now with the world, uh, most of the world in isolation, video conferencing has really proven itself. Um, it's proven to be the go-to method for keeping in touch with colleagues, with friends, with family, uh, and even TV shows. So 
uh, you know, would if you watch if you watch regular TV, you'll know that uh, that most TV shows now are being done from from guests' homes um, and presenters' homes, which is quite extraordinary. Uh, one provider in particular, obviously, um, I'm sure most of us will know by now, Zoom has very quickly taken the crown as the number one video conferencing app. The service has um, now well over 200 million, um, I think actually getting on for 300 million by the time I'm recording this, participants in video calls. Now that's not necessarily uh, paid for accounts, that's people participating in video calls. And that's up from a peak of about 10 million back in December 2019. Uh, as I said, everything from TV shows, if you watch Have I Got News For You, you'll see that's being uh, being put together from the presenters and each of the panelists' homes. Um, pub quizzes are now being hosted online, and we've even got wine tastings being done virtually. And all using Zoom, it seems. So while it's hugely impressive that Zoom continues to stand up and, and maintain excellent quality, unlike some of its rivals like House Party, if you use, if you use Zoom, you'll notice that the video quality and audio quality is really excellent. Um, no matter what time of day, no matter how many participants there are, um, it really seems to, to stand up at all times. Whereas uh, if you look at others like House Party, the audio and the video quality is really quite poor at times. Um, and similarly with others like Skype. But, you know, quite rightly, there's been huge scrutiny of their privacy and security, particularly as businesses are increasingly turning to it for key meetings. I think, I think things like House Party can kind of get away with um, can get away with being a bit more lapse on privacy and security because it's largely being used by the younger generations um, for social aspects. Um, I think when you start to get into business aspects, um, businesses have a real, quite rightly, have a real um, emphasis on security and privacy. Now, some of the complaints seem to stem from particularly weak default settings, which if left and changed allowed anyone to join a Zoom call simply by guessing at the random number, um, the random ID of that call. A new term has popped up called Zoom bombing, um, where people do this, and they'll disrupt the call, um, often with explicit images and videos, which obviously is not nice, Whether regardless of whether it's a business call or a social call. You don't want that happening. Now, to be fair to Zoom, they have now changed um, a lot of their default settings um, to always include a password to join the meeting, which kind of gets gets rid of this Zoom bombing issue. And there's another feature um, in Zoom called, uh, which I'm sure, I'm sure they had very good intentions when they built it, um, but it's come under huge scrutiny. Um, and that's a feature uh, called attention tracking. And this essentially alerts the the meeting host when a, when a participant clicks away from Zoom to another app during the call. Uh, more serious security flaws have been found, such as the Facebook tracking, where Zoom was sending users' data to Facebook. Um, thankfully, Zoom very quickly removed all of this code from the service uh, following the, the huge initial backlash. Um, but they've also had to apologise for mistakenly routing calls through China and for falsely claiming that Zoom is end-to-end -end encrypted, which it is not. So there seems to be a bit of a track record of of really being lapsed on security and privacy. And so this is, you know, as to be expected, has prompted a large number of organisations to ban the use of Zoom for internal meetings. We saw uh, New York ban it for all of its schools. So that's 1,800 schools in New York, um, covering over a million students um, and countless other other uh, organisations uh, we've seen follow suit.
Now, in response to all of this, the Zoom CEO, um, Eric Yan, um, has said that the company will freeze any feature development for at least the next 90 days so that it can focus on fixing its privacy and security. In a blog post, he detailed a really good number of things, actually, that the company has done recently and will do in the near future to bolster its security, um, as well as kind of providing a little bit of useful background on the Zoom platform. Um, we're actually touched upon the reason for building Zoom uh, in the first place, and they didn't expect Zoom to become this kind of social, um, that have this social element, which it's gotten. Uh, Zoom was originally really built for large corporate organizations who would probably be hosting the service on their own infrastructure. Um, and so they could kind of build in their own security policies. Um, but, you know, the, the ways that Zoom has actually been used is really quite the opposite. So it's well worth reading that blog post by um, by the Zoom CEO, which I've, which I've linked to in the newsletter. Now, it seems for me the vast majority of people and use cases uh, for Zoom is very appropriate to use and perfectly safe, as so long as you know, you know the take, take the basic steps like putting a password on your meetings. Her for others, including, I would say, teaching, um, more confidential business, um, business conference calls um, and potentially, you know, personally confidential calls. So with your with your doctor or something like that, I'd probably be staying clear of Zoom, um, at least for now, um, until until Zoom really gets a handle on its security and really finishes this 90 day period where hopefully it's going to really see a significant increase in its security aspects. Hopefully that doesn't come with um, negative side on usability. It'll certainly be interesting to watch how Zoom does over the next few weeks and months. Um, no doubt that the scrutiny will only intensify. Um, but, you know, I think um, I've seen them handle it pretty well at the moment. Um, and they're maintaining and increasing their, their user numbers. So, so, you know, that's a really, really big positive. Um, so let's watch and see. Okay, that's everything for issue one of the Tech Briefing. A huge thanks for subscribing, reading, listening, um, engaging. If you enjoyed this, this issue or think a colleague or friend might enjoy, then please do share it with them. Thank you very much, and I'll see you all next week.